Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuyper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we got Mike Keller, uh, Director of Public Works here at Fort Meade. Sherry? Hi. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Mike, we're glad to have you on here. We this appreciate is exciting. You. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. I know, um, and and the first thing we're going to kick off with, we're going to kick off with recycling. Okay. So we know that's a big ticket item it here. Is. A lot of people got a lot of questions. Every day. Yeah. So number one question on everybody's mind, why did we stop recycling? Well, <clears throat> what we... We really shifted focus for a couple of reasons. First of all, let me ask you a question. Sure. So why do we recycle? Do you even know? I Does mean, anybody know? I mean, to save the planet? Because, okay. Yeah, so, because it's so good for we, the environment. Well, yeah. great. So why is recycling good for the environment? How is it saving the planet? Because Reducing you're not trash. putting pollution out there. You're not putting yeah. garbage out there. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, the biggest reason we do it, and interestingly enough, what most people don't realize, is there's actually a federal executive order that goes back to 1997. So when you look at the current guidance as to why federal agencies are recycling, it literally goes back to a 1997 executive order signed by President Clinton. And the reason that we recycle is to avoid sending things to a landfill. And in fact, the metric, so if you want to determine if you have a successful recycling program or not, the metric that they use is landfill diversion. So how much of your, and if I can give you a cool vocabulary word, municipal solid waste, MSW. <laughs> so the, the metric that we're looking for is to maximize the amount of municipal solid waste that we generate as an installation and not send it to a landfill. We want to send it somewhere else. So we want to minimize what goes to a landfill. Now, there's other aspects of recycling where we want to buy post-consumer recycled goods and things like that where they look at sourcing and stuff. But the focus from the, from the DPW side, the Director of Public Works side, is minimizing our waste stream that goes to a landfill. So, so the, reason, the reason we changed was, so the, the, the executive order says federal agencies should have a goal of a 50% landfill diversion rate. So no more than 50% of your municipal solid waste goes to a landfill. Fort Meade had an award-winning program that was enthusiastically supported by everybody on the base that cost the installation more than a million dollars a year to wow. operate. More than a million dollars. That's a lot That's of money. That's a lot of money yeah. for a landfill diversion rate that was normally in the vicinity of about 30%. So we weren't even hitting 50%. Not even close. Wow. And that was on our best years. And that was considered a good program. It, it's a great program because, you know, nationwide in the United States, the, the, the landfill diversion rate for most municipalities and stuff is somewhere between 25 and 29%. Okay. So... Okay. So, so we were we doing, doing yeah, yeah, so we were doing good, but we weren't meeting that 50%. Not making the mark. And, and so the issue, and, and we were using a lot, of, a lot of resources to not make the mark. Because right. right now, Installation Management Command as a whole um, is one of the portions of the Army that's not seeing budget increases. And so under the wise tutelage of Dr. Moeller, the, the previous Deputy Garrison Commander, he, he kind of earmarked and said, hey, this is an area that we, we kind of need to, to back out. So the first piece was... Um, we, the effort that we did was we, we, we cut $800,000 out of our budget. Um, <clears throat> and that's a budget of about $22 million. So that's a pretty significant chunk. That is significant. Wow. Yeah. And that gets redistributed through MCOM. So they, they pulled that piece back 
And then we were left with trying to sort out with, well, now what do we do? Because we've still got a requirement to do something for landfill diversion. Um, but now we've had this $800,000 budget hit. So now we've got to get creative. So so what are we doing? So the first thing that you want to do, and, and where a lot of the expense came from, the first thing we want to do is another vocabulary for you. It's called single streaming. So back in the old days, we had a couple different garbage cans in the office, and you'd put some things in one area. And then, like, at the end of the building, you'd have one garbage can for plastic, one garbage. Right, so, you have to do the whole sorting process. Right. So by single streaming, we get out of the sorting business. So the first piece that we want to do is we convert everybody to going to one garbage can. Everything goes in one place. So the second question then comes is, well, now that we've single streamed everything and everybody's happy with that, well, now what do you do with it? So we need to send it to a facility that can do something with it other than just put it in a landfill. And the answer there is a program which is nationally recognized called Waste to Energy. So what we're going to do is we're going to avoid sending our single stream municipal solid waste to a landfill. That's an awesome sentence. <laughs> I love saying things like that. Everybody's going to gonna that be quizzed on yep. what that means. So we're going to avoid sending our single stream municipal solid waste to a landfill by converting it to energy. Which that sounds pretty amazing. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it does. And when you convert it to energy, the way you do it is through incineration. So not just burning it, incinerating it. So, so yeah, that's that's going to be the big question: is how is incineration different from burning? Because you know, you hear burning, you assume fumes and toxins are going into the air. And all that stuff I used to do as a kid, it was my chore to go outside and burn the trash. And And when you say that, what what everybody imagines is like, you know, I grew up, my parents had a piece of property in kind of the lesser sophisticated part of New York. And we had a big 55, old 55 gallon barrel in the back of the property. We had one too. And they would sit there and they would drop it in the back and burn it. That's not, that's burning it. And when you burn it, you're maximizing the amount of particulates and everything that go into the air. Okay. When you incinerate it, you do it at a much higher temperature. You do it in a much more controlled environment. And you do it in such a manner that the the outflow of the gases are filtered and captured. Okay. So, and, and interestingly enough, Maryland is actually one of the most environmentally conscious states in the country. In, in some regards, when there's certain issues that I deal with on a day-to-day basis within public works, that the state regulations we deal with are more strict in California. So in many regards, Maryland is, is leading the way on things. And, um, so there's, there's actually multiple facilities within the state of Maryland. Um, the one that we're picking, the one that we're using right now, per, yes, because it's the closest, is located up outside of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's inside Baltimore City. Um, it, it incinerates the trash. It filters the outflow of, of, of all the gases that are coming out. And it, it's got two primary products. One is steam, and that steam is pumped to about, if I'm remembering correctly, about 250 buildings or 250 businesses in, down, in the central business district and downtown. And it's also a primary electricity generator for the area. So the electricity from the heat, it spins turbines that goes out on the grid. What a lot of people don't realize is by definition, in both state codes and federal codes, Solid municipal solid waste is a renewable resource. So this is a renewable fuel. Most people, when they think about renewable fuels, all they think about are wind and solar. And, right. And there's a place for everything in there. Um, in the United States as a whole, about um, 12 to 16 percent of the municipal solid waste is converted to energy through plants like this. Right now, if the number I'm remembering, I, 
to prep for you guys. I spent a bunch of time with the Department of Energy website last night. <laughs> um, I'm glad you did your homework. There's like 72 um, waste-to-energy plants that are currently operating in the United States, and there's, right. I'm, I'm confused on the number that are still under construction. But right now in our area alone, and again, Maryland is one of the more environmentally conscious states in the union. There's two plants in our immediate area, the one in Baltimore City, another in Montgomery County. The plant in Montgomery County is actually larger. It's slightly newer. And their issue is they've actually had enough trouble getting enough garbage to operate the plant that they actually built a rail spur so that people can ship them garbage by rail. Ocean City, Maryland. This seems like something that's a no-brainer. It is, actually. In my mind, it is. But I'm an engineer, and I've got a weird brain. Well, and even environmentally, because when we spoke before... The whole thing with recycling, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know when I recycle, all of a sudden I can't recycle plastic bags, and now all of a sudden I can't recycle pizza boxes, which is like 90% of what's in my recycling bin anyway. And my understanding is, like, when the garbage guys come around, they're going to look in your recycling bin, and if they see, like, plastic bags, they're going to put it in garbage. It's not even going to make it to recycling because those things contaminate the whole load. And then that stuff ends up in landfills. Well, it gets even worse. So in Carroll County, where I live, if they look in your bin and they don't like what they've got, they leave it alone because they're not even going to handle it. Right. So oh, then wow. you as the homeowner have to handle it a second oh, time. yuck. Well, what happens, so the other piece that happens, so one of the solutions that we could have done is we could have single streamed everything and had all the tenants, had everybody on the base take, take a recycling garbage can and single stream the recyclables. So another plan that we could have done was Instead of having a couple of garbage cans in the building, you'd have like two in your office. And then you, in your individual office, could take the recyclables by hand, you, you yourself, out to a central dumpster someplace. And then we could go ahead and take that one dumpster to a single stream recycling plant. Now, that doesn't what hap- seem very efficient. Well, let me throw a couple numbers at you real quick. So, um, if we wanted to take that to a single stream facility, they don't pay us for those recyclables. One of the other problems in this area, there's so many people trying to recycle. The market's flooded, so trying to find people to buy stuff. That location will not accept glass. That location will not accept many metals, um, and they will charge us $90 per ton to handle the recyclables when we drop it off. To go to a normal landfill, it's about $70 a ton. Mm-hmm. The Municipal solid waste that we're going to take to the waste-to-energy plant is $54 a ton. Wow. So not only are we saving the million dollars a year from just the handling, but we're also saving on the tipping fees. So that's going to generate about $140,000 worth of additional savings that we actually, at the garrison level, get to keep. And that's the, the pot of money that we use for fixing the air conditioners, fixing the leaks, cleaning up mold, and things like that. So the, the pot of the discretionary, it's, it, it's called SRM funds if uh, there's anybody that's actually into the accounting side. But I'm actually saving on the operations side about $140,000 a year that we can reprogram directly back into the base. The other piece that we didn't mention on this, by the way, is this plant is very efficient. So they take everything, and when we say incinerate, if you remember the burn barrel discussion? Right. Well, how much ash and stuff is left in the bottom of the burn barrel? Right. It's actually a pretty decent amount. When you incinerate it with a lot more heat, You've got less left over. The items that are left over, they actually go in because there's going to be metal and stuff mixed in that's not going to burn. They're going to recover the metals and recycle that. They're going to take certain parts of the ash and stuff, and it, it gets mixed up into concrete and other building materials. So what winds up happening is our municipal solid waste stream that goes to this plant 
less than 10% winds up going to the landfill. So we go from something like 30% before where we were barely meeting the mark to less than 10% goes into a, a landfill. Right. So our, our landfill diversion rate is going to go from barely being in the 30s to being in the mid-90s. Now, just to, keep this, to, just to keep this so it sounds clean, you know, the real number that they have in the plan is they average, it, it varies based on the stuff that comes in and it varies on how they're operating, somewhere between 94 and 96%. So just to make the discussion easier, I'll just say it's greater than 90%. So we're going to, we're going to save more than a million dollars, and again, a million dollars a year, and we're going to have a landfill diversion rate that triples. That's impressive. And, and the problem that you've got is this. So... You know, the other criticism that comes out of this that the people have brought us up on is they say, hey, but you're burning it. And, and you're right, yeah. you're burning it and there's emissions. But and, and we've had a couple people that have read some articles and the, there's two articles that they found in the Baltimore Sun about it, that there was a controversy involved. Well, we're told that, that air emissions and, and pollution is a very, very bad thing. So I think when people hear this. Yeah, they, it's an assumption that, or not an assumption, but you would naturally assume that. You know, if you're burning something, it creates an emission of some right. sort. It's, it's going to. And, and then the follow-on that comes on is the people that read, hey, look, this plant's been there since 1985, and you're right. But the emission controls and the scrubbing and the cleaning of the emissions that they're doing are not 1985 technology. Right. They have this ongoing discussion with the state of Maryland and the EPA where they're licensed and permitted by them where – these standards are updated. The clean air standards are updated by once about every two years. Yeah, and if the EPA has approved them, then the there EPA has approved them. And, and mean, this play, it, it's kind of funny because one of the big things that, that people act, well, is this legal? And it's like, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> taking our municipal yeah. solid waste to a plant that's permitted and licensed by both the EPA and the state of Maryland to dispose of municipal solid waste. Yeah. The entire city, by the way, Baltimore City right now, 100% of their residential MSW goes to the plant that we're supporting. Uh, the city, um, Ocean, Ocean City, Maryland. Yeah. That's what <laughs> it is. Ocean City, Ocean Maryland. City. <laughs> um, 100% of their municipal solid waste, both residential and commercial, goes to the plant, goes to the Montgomery County plant. So they're actually spending more to ship it to the Montgomery County plant. Wow. Because it's both efficient and, and environmentally sound. I wish at home where I live. I could just throw it all in one bin. But, you know, the, the truth you know? be told. And, and it sounds so much easier and it sounds so much better for the environment. Yeah. The, the other piece is, you know, the other problem that we're dealing with is, you know, in, in a place like Maryland, you know, we don't have great wind corridors um, because we're far enough north. Solar energy is, you know, the, the ability to, to go 100% green in an area like us is problematic to begin with before you even get into the economic discussions of it. Um, so, so my emphasis to you guys is understanding we recycle, you know, the message that I want everybody to remember is we recycle to avoid sending things to the landfill by doing what we're doing. We're going to increase, we're going to triple our landfill diversion rate. Um, and this gets into the, the plastics in the ocean and all these kind of things. These right. are the things we're heading off by doing this. Um, the other piece is this plant much, much cleaner than coal, even clean coal. Um, the emissions that come out of this are on par with a natural gas plant. Um, it's a technology that's existed. Um, <clears throat> I've read articles where they were doing this back in the 70s, but even though the plant that we're using has been in place since 1985, um, the technology that they're using to scrub their air, it's, 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 I believe it's a two-year cycle that they're renewing their air permits on. And all these types of things, um, you're going to read all, all these articles about it. 
Um, one of the concerns that they've got is their big permit and their big contract with the city of Baltimore is up in two years. And there's a couple people on the Baltimore City Council aren't happy with it. Um, you know, we sit back, we see what happens. If, if by chance there's some issue that comes up in two years, we've got the plant that's up in Montgomery County. We can shift to that. There's actually two plants, one in Alexandria and one in Manassas in northern Virginia that are nearby too. And if those become cost prohibitive, then we come up with another plan. So this single stream, this is for residents and everybody, everybody on the post. Just throw not housing, not housing. Correct. This is this is strictly in your office. Okay. Because the housing is dealt with a that's a separate deal. Okay. So yeah. that doesn't. And concern. we don't want to talk. You promised me we we're going to talk about housing. No. <laughs> okay. So we're doing the single stream for for the garrison. So for the office buildings and things of that nature. When is this going into effect? One of the issues that we ran into is the LRC folks. Um, the DRMO process works a little differently. So like when we started this thing uh, within the last couple of years, a lot of furniture and stuff was sent to different locations. Right. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, so they've still, we're still going to have a couple areas that we're going to have large volumes of metal. So there'll still be a couple of metal dumpsters and, and most occupants of the base are not going to see that because that's tied to the logistics readiness functions and things like that. So we had to kind of dot our I's and cross a couple of T's with that. Um, we had to allow the contractors to get their deals in place to accept it. Um, we were also working with the Melwood contractor. Um, they're going to go through all the spaces in the next couple of weeks and remove the centralized recycling bins that have been in there um, and get all those things pulled out. So basically the whole transition itself is going to take place within the month of January. Okay. So the, way, the best way you can prep for it, by the way, is just put everything in your garbage can. Yeah, that so that brings me back to uh, the single stream thing. So, w what does that mean? So, because are we going to have uh, trash cans for just regular trash, and we just put the things that can be recycled in a separate box, nope, or are we just taking all of our trash and it all goes in the same place? All the trash goes to the same place. It all gets incinerated, and then they'll at that point once it gets in the hands of the wheelbarrow folks, it's it's all within them. So we don't have to do any sorting. We don't have to do any pulling out. Excellent. See, and the other thing, and, and we, we kind of drifted, and I apologize, but just to kind of go back. So what winds up happening with a commercial place, just to go back to the point where we talked about, hey, you know, at Carroll County and at your place, if you've got something mm -hmm. in a can that they don't like, they just leave it behind. Right. Well, the problem is when you're dealing with a commercial installation, so if we brought things to that single stream recycling center, if they got the load and they didn't like what they saw in the load, we would actually, a couple things. First of all, they're going to charge us the $90 a ton anyway. And then when they put it in the landfill, then they're going to charge us the $70 a ton. And so if we actually didn't have good discipline with what we were doing with that and we had a contaminated load, I'm going to pay twice for that contaminated load. So so and basically they would kick it back, So they, but they would still charge no, us. No, they're going to handle it and then back charge us. Okay. So then but, the other issue you've got is just imagine, and you talked about the frustrations of dealing with this at your house. Right. And you, every month it seems like for me in Carroll County, I get a different, a different email from my, my uh, refuse guys. I've pretty and, much given up. I'm. Well, and the problem I'm is this. No good. So, so if that's the problem that you and I are having in our house, I've got sixty-seven or fifty-seven thousand people on the installation. Yeah. To employees, deal with. workers. And, yep. And and every time instead of us just having to deal with, oh my gosh, they didn't pick up the trash. Every time we make one of those mistakes on the installation, I take a budget hit. Oh, and then you wouldn't know it until the back end. Right. So the other piece of this that, that a lot of folks aren't, aren't realizing is that this shift not only saves us money, not only triples our landfill diversion rate, it's not only utilizing a renewable resource, 
It's not only utilizing a resource that's available to us, but it's completely minimizing our operational risk of additional cost, which in this environment is huge because everything you do tends to have some kind of risk that's going to have an additional long-term cost associated with it. So, you know, talking about the, the single stream and, and, and where the trash is coming from, so there's not going to be any new bins added to our buildings. We're just, it's going to be how the trash is removed and sorted and taken care of from this point forward? Correct, and the old bins are going to get taken away. Okay, excellent. Now, some operations like AFES and those folks where they are already having to break things down by cardboard and that goes into a separate bin, that's still going to, those operations are going to stay in place. That's an operation that's not going to change but the cardboard in the end, because there's not, there's just not a market for recycling cardboard as there used to be. So that's also going to wind up ultimately in the same location, but because they need a place, because that's more of a bulk issue than it is a sorting issue. All right, Mike, thank you for uh, joining us today. We really appreciate it. We're still kind of a fledgling show, excuse me. So it's <laughs> great to have you on here. Yeah, we're going to keep that. But uh, it's, it's great to have you on here, and we will have you on here multiple times because you got a, you have a wealth of information, and the community probably has lots of questions for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to take questions the next time we when we air this podcast, we'll we'll save up a bunch of them, and the next time we have you on here, we'll we'll ask you some of those questions. What Be do awesome. you think? Awesome. Look forward to it. All right. Excellent. During our first podcast, uh, Colonel Sprague talked to us a lot about quality of life and how important that is for our service members, families, and those who work here at Fort Meade. One of the key points he pushed was the importance of education and how many families look at the schools first when they get their PCS orders. Today we're going to dig into the schools here on post with Fort Meade School Liaison, Sarah Bonis. Thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, so thank you for joining us for, there's some people out there who may not even know you exist. So if you could, could you tell us a little bit about what, what it is that you do as the school liaison? As a school liaison, I fall under the umbrella agency of child and youth services. So it's the same agency that has the child care centers and our before and after school programs. So, um, I work within that. Uh, they're my co-workers. So my, my role as school liaison is to help families transition into Fort Meade and the schools at Fort Meade and the public schools. And it could be we have seven schools behind the gate. They are not DOD schools. That's a, commonly, that's a common thought that people have. But they are Anne Arundel County Public Schools. Um, so I work with Anne Arundel County Public Schools a lot. Um, I also work with Howard County and Prince George's County. So basically, as a school liaison, I go to the schools where a military family may need assistance. Uh, some of the simplest things are finding out what your home school is in the state of Maryland, your home address drives the train for identifying what school your child needs to go to. 
Uh, so that transition piece is, is the biggest part of my job for families here at Fort Meade. Now, does, do you know if every installation has a school liaison like yourself working for them? Yes. Every Army installation, actually Navy and Air Force as well, has a school liaison. That's incredible. And aside from the transition, I, I feel like, I don't know, Joe, we both have kids in school. It'd be great yeah. to just, can the school liaison just help with other issues that a military family might be dealing with? I mean, can we come to you for for almost anything? Or do you have kind of like a set set guidance of things you can do? There's really no set guidance. Mm-hmm. It could be, um, I may not be able to resolve it myself. I may need to find other resources to help you. But it could be anything from the sun, the bus forgot to pick up my child this morning, mm-hmm. or my son hates his third grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be any kind of issue or concern that you have. Um, it also could be you may want to volunteer at the schools. You may want to help out. Um, you may want to be part of a lunch bunch where you just go and sit with a student at lunchtime. So there's all kinds of opportunities, but yeah, there is no problem too small or too big that we can't at least tackle it. Great. That's, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So what are, what are some of the special programs schools on Fort Meade have to offer? Well, schools throughout Anne Arundel County, they do have, um, choices there are special programs especially as you move into the middle school and the high school you need to understand that maryland is not a school choice state so once you discover your home school or your address it's pretty much the school that you're going to be attending Uh, there are magnet schools or magnet programs located in schools that you're you can apply for such as the um International Baccalaureate program is here on Fort Meade. We have Manorview Elementary has the primary years. MacArthur Middle has the middle school years. And Meade High School has the diploma pro- diploma program. So we do have, there are some choices embedded within it, even though you can't pick whatever school you want to go to. And I do want to point out um, real quick, especially for military families, and Joe, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I know I personally have, School choice does exist some places. And so the thing that military families need to be mindful of is that when you're relocating, does the place you're relocating to have it or not? So, for example, when I moved into this region with my husband who's active duty, where we were before had school choice, I thought it was something that we had everywhere, and we don't. And I, I found that out very, very quickly. And part of it, too, was because I also found out that we had a school liaison person, and I contacted the one for the school closest to us and uh, found out that that was not the case. So I think it's just really important for military families to understand that when you're PCSing around, what applies at one state may not be the same quite in the other state. I think that's that's really important because, Joe, I don't know about you, but... But your wife, what was the first thing she looked at every time you moved? So the first thing we always looked at was the schools. Exactly. It was, it was always the first primary thing we looked at. Uh, where we live now, there's no school choice either, but we moved specifically to the location that we knew would get us into a specific school in the area. Right. So, And and here, when people are coming to state, uh, at Fort Meade, there are, like you said, Sarah, there's a lot of great opportunities um, for them. And I actually met a young man recently on a small panel, completely unassociated with my job here. 
And he told me that he's from Glen Burnie and he picked Mead High because of the IB program that he was in. And he had applied to several and got a pick to several, or I'm sorry, got selected for several, but he chose Fort Meade and he chose Mead High. So I think that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And, and another important point about Mead High is Mead High has a signature program called the Homeland Security Program, and it is only at Mead High. And it incorporates input from stakeholders like in the neighborhood, like NSA and Northrop Grumman and different uh, emergency services people that help the school develop the curriculum for Homeland Security. It's, a, it's an amazing program. And it's and are, we're the only one in Anne Arundel County? We're the only one in the state? I mean, is this I one of a kind? All, we're the only. We are one of a kind. Awesome. The Homeland awesome. Um, Security Program is one of a kind. That is amazing. So what are some of the extracurricular activities? Because I'm always trying to get my daughter to do things. So what kind of, I feel like I've heard that there's like some clubs um, that are like cyber related and STEM related here. What are some of the the cool things that kids can get into that's a little bit more outside the traditional classroom? Right. Um, The middle school, actually all the schools have clubs and they're some of them are after school and some of them are during school. But the Cyber Patriot team one is at Mead High, and that is um, competitions. It's actually a cyber competition. Okay. And so the kids meet and they create teams, and then the teams go out and compete against other teams, and it's pretty exciting. And we have some units that are supporting the Cyber Patriot teams at Mead High School. That's awesome. So so literally the people who do this for their job for the military are, I guess, coaching these kids. And yes. I, I'm pretty sure you're not getting that at most schools. I, I think not. I mean, I, I don't know that for sure, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager a bet that we're probably one of good. the only schools doing it. Yeah, I'd take that bet. I take that bet. That's and that's pretty amazing. So you have you have the professionals from Department of Defense coming to the schools. That's right. To hold these programs with the students. I mean, that's that's experience that you can't you can't really well, you can pay for it in college, but you're getting for <laughs> you it, you're getting it for, for free in, in school. So that's that's pretty amazing. That's good. Well, and it's just exciting to hear that that our schools have those special opportunities because of where we are. And because of the involvement of our service members and their units. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know some of the service members who are involved with that. And they get very excited about the cyber stuff. And I'm not going to lie. Um, I am a little bit of a tech geek, but I don't understand some of that cyber stuff. And I know people who are involved with it. And you're right, Sarah. It gets so exciting for them. And they do some really cool things with it. It's, it's really nice to have students, high school students, young high school students, sitting next to a service member. And the student can basically look at the service member and go, wow, you're just like me. I could have a career like you. So that mentorship, that coaching thing goes a long way. So speaking of mentorship, I just want to bring this up because, Sarah, you and I sat in a meeting with the colonel the other day. And one of the things that um, several of the, the principals and the representatives that were in the room brought up was mentorship and getting our service members 
into the schools and mentoring our students. So that that is something that, that the schools are looking for and asking for, correct? They are. And I think that one part of that discussion as well was for the schools are going to be developing a portal whereby units or service members can tap into it, go on and see there's going to be like a job description for a volunteer experience at our schools. So, you'll, so, so they'll sign up for something very specific, pick the time, yes, and, and everything. So service members out there listening, if this is something you want to get involved with, please, by all means, uh, keep on our Facebook page. We're going to put that portal out, and we're going to advertise it and uh, make it available as soon as, uh, as soon as the public schools get it up because uh, Dr. McMahon was there, and I believe Colonel asked for it, and her exact words were, done. So, so it's coming. That's right. So, That's right. So, so let's get in the schools and just – Make them more awesome. Yeah, it gives you an opportunity to to give back directly to your community. And you got to think about it too. How great is this as a parent who is a professional? This gives you a way. This could give you a way to connect with your kids on uh, that you may not think you even have that connection. You know what right. I mean? Sometimes parents have a hard time figuring out where they can meet that middle ground. And let's say you got a kid in this program, you can volunteer into this program and tell them, you know, show them what you do for a living. That's pretty impressive. I, I think that's that's a unique opportunity. Yeah. It is a unique opportunity for our parents, but also for our service members that aren't parents yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have the best cyber warriors in the world here at Fort Meade, so it's you yeah. know it's it's great to see them getting in the schools. And I know that you know the colonel wants to see them more in the schools as well. In fact, I was in an event yesterday where he pretty much was asking who wants to be in charge of my mentor program for the schools. So, um, so I think, I, I hope that we see a boom in that. And I think that's a great opportunity. And I think a lot of the service members don't even think about how hanging out with an hour a week for a kid can make a huge difference. In it their makes lives. a big difference. Yes. It can it make does. a big difference. So Sarah, we like to do a fun little question with every one of our guests. Um, ours is going to be school related. Um, who is or was your favorite teacher? Mm-hmm. My favorite teacher, my favorite teacher was my fourth grade teacher. Her name, I still remember, it was uh, Mrs. Riley. And one of the reasons I really liked her was because every day she would read aloud to us. We all got to put our heads down on our desk and she would open a book and she would read, and it was a chapter book, as the kids say. <laughs> so it didn't end. So there was this buildup of the story. And so we got to listen to that story every day. It was awesome. That's fantastic. I should bring Miss, Miss Riley in right now. I'd like somebody to read me a story while I put my <laughs> head down <laughs> on the end of a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I had a favorite teacher. I cannot recall his name to save my life right now. Um, We'll call him Mr. Little. We'll go with Mr. Little. Um, (laughs) Mr. Little taught me in about fourth grade. It was about fourth or fifth grade. But he taught me the the concepts of synonyms in a way that I could understand. He also helped helped me build my vocabulary because he said that I was a very loquacious child. So at the time, I had no idea what loquacious was. I was only in fourth grade. But he said that I was very talkative or verbose. And so I remember to this day the ability to use synonyms and like words. Uh, 
it, it's built my vocabulary. Like I use big words with my children now and their teachers, they, they laugh about it. They're like your kids. They talk like they're so adults, you know, just because they know different words mm-hmm. that have different mean that have the same meaning. So, um, that's always stuck with me. Nice. My, uh, my favorite teacher, all time favorite teacher is actually still teaching. He he'll retire this year. So I'm not that old people. Uh, but his name is Mr. Davis. He was my, uh, fifth grade teacher at a small, tiny, tiny school in Pennsylvania. And I remember thinking he was so cool because it was the first time I had a boy teacher because I had all women, you know, um, and it, traditionally it's usually a lot of women, especially when I was younger where I was. So it was really cool. We got the boy teacher and he was young and he was fun and, um, he always would come out at recess and play sports with us and Foursquare or whatever. And you could just, he was just really relatable and fun. And, um, I got him, so my mom used to make me get all my teacher's presents, and I got him this little wooden pencil. It says Mr. Davis's class on it or whatever, and, when, you know, it's still hanging in his classroom <laughs> to this fantastic. day. And every time he it's sees amazing. me, I see him on occasion when I go back home, and he always tells me it's still there. And, uh, yeah, and he's, and he's just a really cool teacher. There's a great article in our paper back home about him recently, but he's getting ready to retire this year and he's uh, still young enough to enjoy it. So that, that's awesome. So Mr. Davis, my favorite teacher. That's great. That's nice. So Sarah, thank you for joining us today. We we appreciate your time and, uh, we look forward to having you and other education related people in the, on the show in the future. I think that would be great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. All right, families, so we want to know what you think of our schools here at Fort Meade. So the garrison is sending out a school survey to all the families here on the post that have kids in school, and we really would appreciate it if you would take the time to fill those um, out for us and and get them back. And we're really just doing this so when we're working with the schools that we're making sure that the needs of our families are getting met and that our kids are getting uh, the best educational experience possible. And again, this is just a tool for the garrison to work with the schools and make sure that we're, we're doing all the right things uh, for our students here at Fort Meade. And a quick note for everybody, if you want to find Miss Sarah Bonice, you can find her at 1900 Reese Road, or you can contact her at 301-677-1227. Thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, just remember, you can find this podcast on iTunes now. We're, we're officially on iTunes. We're working on getting on some other platforms, but you can always find us on our social media and at DividsHub.net. Uh, we look forward to your, your feedback and your questions, and we'll talk to you guys uh, next episode.